Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello Australia, welcome to My Millennial Money, I'm Glenn James and you are... John Pigeon. Now John, welcome to the podcast today. Pleasure. We're going to cover a three-point financial strategy today. We're going to cover a little bit about interest rates, but before we do, did you know we've got something in common? No. We do, John. What is it? What happened on the weekend? Um, house went to auction? No. We got jabbed. We got jabbed. <laughs> So there you have it, everyone. Pidge and I, we're both uh, vaccinated. Mm. I completed my second dose over the weekend. John completed his first. So we're just out there helping. Just contributing. Love it. So I would encourage everybody to get back to normal soon. Go get it. That's right. If you ever want to get out and party. Party with a needle yeah. first. <laughs> anyway, we will move on. Now, a couple of things also, John, just um, for some housekeeping, I just want to thank everybody for pre-ordering a copy of my book, Sort Your Money Out and Get Invested. Uh, There are 1,000 of them sitting in my lounge room at the moment. Mm. and 999 in about 10 minutes. You're going to knock one off, are you? Yeah. Well, you can tell Booktopia that. So, if you want to um, roll the dice and get a signed copy, order it through Booktopia. And if you don't get a signed copy, because I think they've almost sold out of that first batch anyway. Okay. Yeah. If you want to buy one or two or whatever and have me sign it and it's not signed, go on my website at the bottom. There's my PO box at Twoon Bay. Uh, you can send it to me once you get it or once you've read it. Or if you want to gift some, uh, send it up with a, an express return envelope as well. And I'll sign any that anyone wants to. So, um quite a big deal these days, aren't you? Well, not really. Just just out there having a go, John. Uh, but thank you to everybody for supporting uh, everything we do here because it's not really just about selling books. It's about empowering everybody. And to be honest, I actually don't get that much per book. So don't write a book if you want money. Uh, but it's about getting the good messages of financial foundations out there and any money that we do get, you know, we employ five people at Simo Interactive, so it, it just helps pay the bills as well. So yeah, that's good. We and, really... and I just did have a quick flick through it, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm suitably impressed. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. All right, let's have a chat today. John, I want to talk about interest rates first. So... What do we do and what happens when interest rates rise? Because they're in an all-time low at the moment and we're not economists, but in basic everyday language, we might just have a bit of a chat just to help people understand what happens when interest rates do inevitably start to increase. Mm. Well, I think high level, you've got to be thinking, am I lending money or am I investing money? Because... 
essentially we know that the banks, the, the institutions don't lose, do they? They're in it to make money. And we want them to be profitable. So mm. when the world um, shats itself again, uh, our banks are still standing. Yeah. So if interest rates rise today, there's a good chance that if I'm investing money, that I'm going to get a better return because they're uh, getting a greater return on their money that they're lending to us. Mm. So it's a higher spread. Yeah. So at the moment, like interest rates all time low, mm. cash rate, what is it? 0.10. Bugger all. So, and that's been the case for the last three, four, five years. Uh, those that are wanting to put money into term deposits for retirement or transition to retirement, their return on their investments have been horrible. Mm. So they actually want interest rates to rise. They're not in the game of lending anymore. They're in the game of getting a return on their money invested, aren't they? Mm. Yeah, and I think it's important just to understand uh, some basic uh, economy stuff. And we will actually get an economist back on Mm. uh, because we haven't done an economist episode yet this year. So any suggestions for any type of economists? Flick yeah. us a message by Instagram inbox and we'll, uh, we'll try and track someone down. Uh, so basically, if I was telling a five-year-old how the interest rates work in the economy, it's basically a lever that the Reserve Bank of Australia and central governments use around the world to either stimulate the economy or to dampen it. So if an economy is going too fast, inflation's just crazy and things are going nuts what they might do is increase the interest rates. Now, what that does is, just think, at the moment, you might have an investment property and you might be paying 3% interest on that property. Now, if the interest rate on that property increases to 3.25 or 3.5, that will slowly stop people investing more. So, it will slow the economy down. So, if interest rates start to rise again, It just means that the central banks and central governments just need to slow the economy down. And that's why out of the GFC, um, interest rates have over the last 10 years just slowly decreased time over time over time because it's a way governments can stimulate the economy. Mm. So interest rates are are really low at the moment. More people are borrowing, more people are investing. If I borrow to buy a a house or build a house, it's creating more jobs. So really basic, you know, to a five-year-old, low interest rates mean the economy needs to be stimulated to get money moving. Yeah. The problem we've got is particularly in Sydney and Melbourne, it's almost this two-speed economy where interest rates are really low and people are borrowing and borrowing because money's cheap, property prices going through the roof, but they've still got this problem that, well, the rest of the economy still needs some stimulus. So, Correct. Yeah, and they can't really spend too much money at the moment either. That's right. So, yeah, that's one way that they're talking about at the moment to actually s- slow the property momentum that's being or occurred over the last three years, really. Do you find it fascinating? Because they did this in New Zealand, I believe, John, that within X amount of kilometres from Auckland, they actually had a higher interest rate Mm. than... Like, I just don't know why they wouldn't have done that in Sydney or Melbourne. Yeah, well, I think another way around that is to put greater obstacles on um, lending for certain 
um, investment types. So mm. they're saying, well, for investors, you now need a 20% deposit instead of a 10% deposit or even a 5% in some cases. So mm. that will definitely slow. But the issue is with that, majority of buyers out there are not investors, they're owner occupiers. And that's why when people write in and say, oh, I'm having trouble buying my third property, it's like, yeah. wah, like yeah. I kind of joke because it's like, well, there's people trying to buy their first property mm. and there's a question here that we'll get to about that. It's just a wild time. And remember, John, when we went to Shanghai in 2017. Yes, I saw a photo of that the other day. Yeah. <laughs> remember when I uh, purchased you a ticket to go over there? <laughs> yeah, I'm forever grateful. <laughs> <laughs> I transformed my life. <laughs> That's right. But uh, the government in China, they say that the second property that you buy has to have like a 70 or 80% deposit. Mm. Like it's just wild. Yeah. So there's lots of stuff that the government can do to put a damper on housing prices. Yeah. But oh, it just fascinates me. There just must be more uh, deeply embedded other interests at play. Yeah at a policy level. Yeah, and and when we look at the household debt to value ratio at the moment, it's actually lower than it was in 1990. Mm. So uh, when when people say oh this this bubble's got to burst, right? It, it's not going to burst. It'll slow because uh, interest rates might rise and it'll slow because people have just capped out at that price point in that particular area. But uh, yeah, uh, people aren't as in as much debt as people as think. But that's also because of the supply and the demand issues and the booming house prices as well. Like, yeah. it's just such a convoluted thing. But I think longer term, and I know we're just shooting the breeze here, but it's just an interesting discussion to have. Like, what do you think there should be a greater plan for in Australia? I'll say what I'm thinking just to give you some juice. I just think our regional centres need some decent infrastructure and have enticed more people to move out to regional centres. And whether that's a, an immigration discussion, whether it is enticing people to move out to regional centres and if you live there for more than three years and get embedded, you can have a tax discount or something. I just think the regional centres have so much to offer, but there's just no infrastructure. No, and, and that's definitely improving and it's changing and COVID has done that to a lot of people and technology's done that to a lot of people. We can now work from home a lot more than we could, ever could, uh, but infrastructure is taking a long, long time. Like that express from Brisbane through to Melbourne was happening in 1950, yeah. right? was still here and it hasn't commenced, nor does it look like. But didn't, I think, didn't Clive Farmer want to do that? I think so, yeah. <laughs> but when you look at... Uh, the, the property markets, mm. there are actually two types of performance types, I suppose. You've got the housing market that's flowing, but you've got the unit market that's just trickling along, not doing anything spectacular. Mm. So to your point, we've got to ask, where does everyone want to live? Mm. Do they want to live CBD, high-level apartment, um, have everything at my doorstep, or do I want the fresh air and the green grass out in the country two, three, four hours from a major? Mm. So I think it's a really interesting um, – I, I was in a, uh, an online summit just last week talking about this in Victoria and where the movement of people is, and, and Bernard Salt is a demographer. So if you, you're listening, wanting – interested in this sort of stuff, look him up. He's a, he's a very... Yeah, I rate him. He's very good. And, and he was on there talking about it. And 
they're basically they're, they're running out of land in Melbourne, right? So there's no option but to put money into those regional areas that are one hours, two hours, three hours um, from from the the major centres. So we will see a shift, but it's going to be a gradual one. Mm. So we've talked kind of high level and what a bit of a debacle that we're in because I just really shrug my shoulders. Like how are people buying their first homes in this climate? And the answer is they're probably not at the moment to a point. They're Or they're saving all money, getting parental guarantees or, you know, this transfer of wealth has started to happen because – you know, a lot of you reach out to sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help for financial advice. Mm. Anecdotally, I've noticed that there has been more people wanting help for inheritances mm. of two, three, four, five hundred thousand. So yeah. there is a transfer of wealth happening, but that doesn't help someone at the moment who wants to buy a house who can't afford it when nah. they've got really good incomes. Yeah. So, nah. but bringing it home, John, how do we start to plan our financial life? at the moment when interest rates are so low and the only way is up, mm. whether it's in a year or three years? Yeah. So from an investing point of view, generally speaking, if you're investing in single stocks or ETFs, um, you, you you wouldn't have too much of a loan on those sort of um, investments. So that's not really going to be affected at all. When it comes to property, however, most people – 99.9% are borrowing money. So we need to understand what the yields are going in before we buy it as opposed to um, thinking that it'll be okay. Now, when interest rates rise, generally speaking, so do rents, right? So if that's happening, but there's a, uh, I suppose, a, a lag of uh, that rent increasing, there'll be some hurt. Right, and that hurt is estimated to be sort of twenty twenty four onwards, as as to when they're saying the RBA will start to increase interest rates, um, and it's usually affected first in non desirable locations. Right, so if you've got an investment out in those non desirable locations, then yeah, you could be in some trouble if you don't factor in the buffers or indeed when you buy a property, get the yields right in the first place. Now, that's from an investment point of view. And just to finish on that, the owner-occupier is more of the concern is because if they've overcapitalized just to get into their area at the time, buy in for a million dollars, and they can afford an 800K mortgage at 2%, can they afford an 800K mortgage at 3%, right? An extra percent is a, is a lot of money when you're talking 800,000. So yeah, you've got to stay cash heavy in preparation for interest rates rising. And I guess it just speaks to what we teach us like before you start buying a house or getting excited, unfortunately, you need to clear up your consumer debt. So your credit cards, your buy now, pay laters, your personal loan from, you know, your Ibiza holiday in Mm. 2007. Like you've just really have to get on a solid foundation and you know, jump in the Facebook group and ask or search, you know, first home because there are so many single people under 30 mm. who have purchased their first home, but it has been a sacrifice. Yeah. So I just think it's, um, you really just have to hardcore sacrifice and it's harder than ever, but it can be done. Totally. And just interesting, John, uh, earlier in the year, 
uh, in June, the CBA increased the serviceability floor. Um, and what that basically is, banks have guidelines in the background. And what they do is when they say, oh, John, you want to get a loan? Um, well, let's just have a look at your income, your expenses, and let's see if you could service this mortgage of $700,000 based on our serviceability floor. So, at the moment, the CBA increased their serviceability floor from 5.1% to 5.25%. So, what they say is, well, that's fine that we're charging you, you know, 2.6% variable, but we need to know, little Johnny, when interest rates do go up to 5%, that you can still afford it based on your current situation. Yeah, that's right. So, at the moment... Um, these are approximate, they may have changed. Uh, CBA's serviceability floor rate is 5.25%. Westpac is 5.05%. NAB is 4.95%. And ANZ is 5.1%. So all banks have to make sure that people can afford 2.5% over the standard rate or something like that. Yeah, and, and to your point before, the critical part in that is the bank's thinking you can afford something but then you actually being able to afford it because of your lifestyle choices. Mm. And we know that if you're out of consumer debt, you've got more chance of servicing mm. based on their rates and based on the real world function. Mm. So, And that just, again, it just speaks to why you do need a mortgage broker because, you know, based on your situation, you know, they might say, well, based on all your info, you won't service with CBA, but we know that you will service with NAB all day long because their serviceability floor rate is 4.95, not 5.25. Yeah, that's right. But on the flip side, they might say, well, you'll need, you need a 20% deposit. Um, so the criteria might actually be stricter, but their servicing floor is better. Yeah, it really is a game of chess, isn't it? Mm. When you want to get a mortgage. But yeah, and it just, like, that's just one example as to why you need a mortgage broker. Like, it's a, it's a no-brainer. Now, I just saw, I, I put an Instagram up on Sunday afternoon because it's Monday at the moment while we're recording this. If anyone wants us to cover questions, there was a question here. How do you factor in how much you should be able to borrow, John? Because there's a difference between what the bank says you can theoretically get and what's practical. Is it fair to say that we don't want more than 30% of our after-tax net income to be going towards rent or mortgage repayments? So does that mean what we would do is work with our mortgage broker and say, well, I, my budget for, you know, for a mortgage repayment is X amount. Can you tell me how much I can borrow based on a repayment of X amount and based on what deposits that I need? So, for example, if they come back and say, you, you know, you want to borrow $700,000 for a property, it's going to cost you this, which would mean, well, that's 40% of my net take home, but it will come down to 30% of your net take home if you save an extra X amount for the deposit. Yeah, and I... Look, I'm not contradicting the theory of 30%, but mm. I had a client last week who I sat down and um, spoke with for the first time and their net um, percentage was on their mortgage was 45%. <laughs> now, they were still saving 60 grand a year, right? Yeah, but were they higher income earners? So, to my point, 
is mm. they were higher income earners, um, mm. but the percentage of 30, like that sort of freaked him out a bit when he actually knew the percentages, mm. but it sort of gave him comfort in the fact that I'm still saving a good amount of money. So I don't think there's a one size fits all because he's, the rest of his life was pretty lean, mm. but he was also on a higher income. Yeah, I, I probably would still push back and say long-term, it's just not sustainable. Like, well, if that if that income's sustainable, then mm, that's going to gradually decrease. But, but the what mortgage. it, yeah, but what it also means is that, you know, relatively speaking, your clients would still need to be putting money away for the future, and we know that consuming too much now means the less that we can put away for the future. So yep. again, I haven't looked at any of the numbers, but. And we'll yeah. probably move on, but I would just say use caution and still keep that 30% net as a guide. Yeah, totally as a guide. Yeah. And that's what we were talking about. Yeah. But the fact is he's still saving money. He's invested into an asset that's going to perform for him. Mm. Um, and and that's that was the basis before he met me, mm. that that's what he wanted to do. Mm. And he was comfortable that he could still save an amount. So mm. I think, yeah, that you definitely need to know what's going out and, and having your emergencies there but then understanding if you're buying your home to live in, you've got to put a good chunk of cash into it to begin with. Yeah. Um, a question here from Nicola. Advice for people just starting to save for a house and thoughts on the market. And then there's another question from Beck uh, Granfield. Do we hold out buying a home at the moment or are we going to get ripped off everywhere? Now, I don't know if the word's ripped off um, because the market is basically set by what people are prepared to spend and mm. if they can spend it. Yeah. And so ripped off could be um, considered a subjective term. But um, before we move on to these other questions, John, how do we buy in this hot market? Because it is hot in most places around Australia and your views of that tempering once borders open again. Mm. Should we wait 10 minutes? Um, look, I, I think when the borders do open up, it's going to be a free-for-all for a lot of owner-occupiers owner that are going to uh, upgrade. So you're going to see a lot more people potentially selling and you, you're going to see a lot more buyer activity. Right? So I, I don't think prices are going to slow once the borders open up. I think prices or, or the activity will increase and the prices will continue to move north. And whilst it comes back to the cash rate, while the, the loan uh, on our mortgages is, is sustainable, it, we're going to continue to see price growth. How we beat that in a market like this is simply, is simply time. Knowing your strategy, knowing what your ceiling is that you can um, spend, but then not wasting time. Because three months in this market, is four or five percent of of um, growth in that in any area that we're looking at? I still think like you know the right time to buy is when the right time to buy is for you when you've got the money and you find somewhere that you like if you're living in it mm. permanently. Um, investing that's just a whole other thing. But John, I would hypothesise that people might choose to list their house once lockdowns finish and once the borders open because. Mm we might be able to get more of a price when we can have fully open homes and Correct. all this stuff. So yeah. I just think it goes back to, you know, in the book I wrote, the best savings target to have, I believe, is 5% of your 
desired purchase price, at that point, go and have a chat to a mortgage broker. Mm. Or if you've got a parental guarantee, can you pull that trigger and chat to a mortgage broker? But you still have to have your money in order. Just because you can get a parental guarantee tomorrow and you've got a high income, if your money's still a mess now, your money will still be a mess when you have the mortgage and you'll be forever in consumer debt. So, that's the dance, isn't it? Yeah. So, I don't know if we've got an answer other than keep saving, keep out of debt, keep doing your research. When the right one comes up, have a look and go and put an offer in and get the things moving. But... I just want to talk to you as well, John. This really isn't much of a prepared episode because we just wanted to chat about a few of these issues. I'm worried that once the lockdowns end, agents and vendors, and even if you're going to move into a rental property, they might still keep some of the rules in place. Like I went, I put an application in for a rental property up at Caves Beach the other week. I got declined and they wouldn't let me even look at the property without an application. Yeah, because there was too many wanting to apply. No. I just could cut the... Well, I don't know, because they'd reduced the rental price. Like it'd been online for some time, they reduced the price. Um, It was just weird. And I would hate to think that going forward, you'd have to do an application before you even go and look at a property. Mm. Well, it, it it also depends, like disease aside or virus aside, yeah. it also depends on which state you're in. Sure. Like a lot of agents in Queensland will want your offer on a written contract, on, on a um, proper contract to, to take to the vendor. In terms of purchasing? In, in terms of purchasing, yeah. Wow. So, yeah, you, you've got to understand what market you're in and be strategic with the way you go about it, mm. right? And and preparation's power, as we know. So the best thing you can do is get everything in your back end, what's in your control ready so that – and when it's time to fire a shot, you're going hard and fast mm. to get that outcome. Yeah. You don't want to be sitting around in six months' time in a hot market thinking, oh, I should have looked at this area, but I'd – I didn't because I, I had my head in the sand in this just particular one suburb. So I think just unpacking this, like talking out loud, it's almost like regardless of uh, pandemic or not, the rules and the process stays the same. Well, Like yeah. you've got to have your ducks in order. Yeah, that's right. Like I was chatting to someone this morning, they said, oh, we've been looking since January and it's now September, but we sort of didn't know what we know now, mm. right? And the only way to to know what you know now is to have experienced people on your team mm. to say, well, this is what we're seeing. This is what we've experienced in the past. This is what you need to do right now so that you don't you avoid still sitting around in six months chasing the market. Yeah. There's a question here from Eddie Landwehr, if that's how I pronounce Eddie's Landwehr. surname. Tips for getting a loan if you're a sole trader without an income history. Yeah. Well, we want 12 months. So if you're a sole trader that's been rolling around for 12 months, you've got a chance. The likes of ANZ and a few others will um, take you on with a minimum 12 months of sole trader history. Yeah. It depends on how much sole trader income we're talking. And as well, if you aren't quite at the 12 months and you've got three quarters of your BAS or your GST, you might be able to go to a 
a second tier lender, but you will pay a higher interest rate. Yeah. Remember the old no-doc loans? Yeah. How good were they? I don't know. I didn't ever have one. But um, but I think the principles, like I would say, you know, if you are a physiotherapist employed at the hospital and you're working, yeah, last couple of years, then you decided, okay, well, I'm now going to work in private practice and consult and I might work over two different clinics, three days a week there, two days a week here. You know, there's not going to be much of a dip in your income. So in terms of your income, it's going to be business as usual. So my tip to Eddie would be, you know, if you were a physio for the last three years and then like, oh, now I'm a sole trader uh, building widgets in my garage, that's a significant change. Mm. For his own life, I would want to make sure that he can build and sustain an income even before worrying about buying a house. Yeah. You see what I mean on the personal side there? Like, yeah. let's make sure you can generate an income as a sole trader first. That's right. Yeah. And and don't go and jeopardise your lending if that's your number one priority as well. Yeah. Like, don't go to sole trader just because you're jack of your job. Yeah. If you want to get a loan in three months and then come back and think, oh, shouldn't have done that. Now I've got to trade for another 12 months. Yeah. So, uh, the long and the short is, you know, the basic laws apply. You're still going to need a deposit, which mm. you might have. Make sure your books are in order. Uh, speak to a mortgage broker. You can reach out at sortyourmoneyout.com. Uh, we've got brokers that specialise in first homes, small business and all that stuff. And it might be possible, but in the first instance, you may need to pay a higher interest rate because the banks are taking a more risk for somebody who doesn't have a, a longer track record of an income. Yeah, that's right. And I think, Eddie, we need to be strategic and you may look at a lender that you may not have heard of. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and answer Joe's questions about investing into a managed fund and we'll be right back. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Okay, Joe BudZB has got a question. How exactly do I take my first step investing into a managed fund? Well, I'm going to answer that quickly, John. We're going to put a link in the show notes. I've done two YouTube videos, absolutely no cost. And I profile the Vanguard Personal Investor Platform. And I show you how that works, how to invest into a managed fund. And then there's another YouTube video and it's of no cost. I profile three Vanguard ETFs. Now, the reason I wanted to answer this question specifically is because we've got so many new people who come and join the podcast and the Facebook group, and there are so many questions always about how to get started. Mm. And I did this video. It's of no cost. You can do that. Learn how Vanguard works. Learn how the platform works. Learn how managed fund works. You might not end up investing or buying a Vanguard product, but you can understand the concepts and apply that to other products. Yeah, absolutely. That was one of my first investments back in uni. Yep, Gidea. And um, and that's of absolutely no cost. If you want to take it a step further, we've got the Glenn's Online Investing School. If you want to take it a step further, uh, you might want to pay for some advice. Mm. So mm. I just wanted to highlight that um, that resource is there. Fran, do you want to read that lady's question? Francisca Norley says, investing as a university student and money priorities for your 20s during a pandemic. 
what are you what are you saying to that one, John? Well, investing as a uni student, um, as I just mentioned, I think like a managed fund was something that I first started out with. It's like an easy five hundred thousand dollars you can put into a fund and and continually build on it if you need. I think as we've spoken about previously, university life, if you want to call it, is is um, survival financially to get through to the other end. Um, if we've got some spare money up our sleeve that we want to invest with, then something simple like that is is often a good idea. Your money priorities during your 20s, it really depends on uh, what you want to do with your life. Um, I think by the sounds of it, we're focusing on our vocation at the moment. Uh, the priorities is to have a good cash amount in, up our sleeve for a, for a rainy day. Uh, and then building from there. So what we want to do, I think, not only through a pandemic, but in the early stages of our life is to stay reasonably cash heavy so we know how we can run our life. Mm. What would you say? Yeah, I'd probably say the first and the biggest investment you need to make in your 20s, particularly while you're at university, is to make sure the investment in yourself has completed. Mm. So I'm probably not even worrying too much about investing. Um, I'll always say at the end of your uni degree, I would love for you to be consumer debt free and even with $1 in the bank account Mm. because then you've got the best shot of killing it. So I would hypothesize to say, use this time to just invest into yourself and make sure you're focused on doing your studies and doing all that stuff, you might download like Raise, for example, and just have the roundup feature and and just really start to learn how investing works without committing hundreds of dollars, you know, a month or a quarter to an investment and just really start to understand. Maybe a goal would be like anyone's goal would be before we start investing significant amounts of money in your own life to have that emergency fund completed. So what if you did say, okay, well, my first goal over the next couple of years is to save an emergency fund of three months worth of expenses. So I've finished uni, I've got my emergency fund pretty much done. Your expenses may increase as you get a a full-time grad position or whatnot and a a big juicy income. Sure, it's not going to take you long to first few pay cycles to top up that. Then you can start investing because you're going to be able to learn more about it, you know, do online courses, you know, read books, do all that stuff, invest in yourself. And the worst thing I'd want you to do during a, um, a pandemic or in your twenties is be stressed about money because you've allocated money to an investment account where you've got to pay your car rego. So in your twenties, you're a startup business. You need to be lean. You need to be agile. Mm. You need to be able to change in an instant. You need, you might not have a full-time permanent job. You might have two jobs. So Lean, agile, no financial commitments that are locked in and tied down. No big car loans. And and I think what we're both saying is, or why we're saying this is, once we've finished university, we might have been living at home whilst at uni or on res, as they call it, or sharing with 14 other people and and our running costs of our life are pretty low. Preparing ourselves for what life will actually cost us when Mm. we get a full-time job. Yeah. Now, John, in the Facebook group over the weekend, I asked people if they could list their financial strategy in three short points. So, what would yours be, John? Uh, so, I 
I think the first thing for me personally, because you're talking me personally as opposed to advice for others. Yeah, 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 you personally. Yes. Okay, yep. so my biggest one is enjoy my life today, check in every 12 months and say, right, from a financial perspective, what's my net worth? Because gross worth is irrelevant in a lot of cases. But what is my net worth and have I done what I wanted to do lifestyle-wise for that 12-month period? And if we can tick, tick, then fantastic. But if it's just, yeah, my net worth's great, but I was stressed and didn't have a holiday or didn't do what I wanted to do, then we've got to reset. Okay, so that's your first point? First point. Yeah. Second one is uh, build my assets relative to my current situation. So what I mean by that is when I was at uni, $1,000 in a managed fund. Uh, now, 20-odd years later, it, it is it's a- $1,000 in your ashtray. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. But just being able to handle- uh, understand what that strategy might mean. So it might be buying something for 800000 that only needs a 3% yield, for example. So adapting your um, your asset investment according to where you are in life now. Mm. Uh, and then the, my third one is definitely a focus on my children. Mm. So what am I doing now that's going to help them financially for when they when they become adults, and not that's not necessarily gifting them something uh, based on the performance of my own wealth creation. It's more about the education for them to be able to use their money wisely and understand it, but then take action because they've seen mum and dad do it and they've been taught about it mm. from an early age. Yeah. When uh, we, you know, said hi this morning when you arrived, yes, you know, you talked about something that you were talking with Amy about over the weekend mm. that kind of tapped into your first point there. You remember? No. You were going <laughs> to do something once you'd finished the house? Yes, correct. So why don't you share with the class that? I will, I will share that with the class. Now, or if my friends are tuning in, they're going to get wind of this. All right. All right. We had this conversation as Glenn correctly pointed out yesterday, said, right, once we finish building the house, I'm going to buy, I'm going to upgrade my bike because I love road cycling, the physical sense, not the motor. Um, and she turned around and said, well, why don't you do it now? And John's like, oh, it worked. Damn, <laughs> that was creative. Uh, so, yeah, whether I do it now or not. But, yeah, and, and it probably, I, how do I word this? Sometimes you are too hard on yourself when you're going hard in life mm. in terms of, okay, invest in income-producing assets and from a financial sense, don't just go and waste money if you don't need it. The mm. bike I've got now is fine, um, but would it be nice to have a better one? Absolutely. Yeah, awesome. You? Well, my three points, uh, and I've used this for some time because I've always wanted just to have my financial strategy front of mind. So the first thing that I do, I live on less than I earn. And what that is, it's the living thing, kind of like you. Mm -hmm. You've got to enjoy the now. You've got to um, live and enjoy it. But we've got to make sure that we don't over-enjoy. And that's a problem with Western society. We over-enjoy with our money. Totally. We borrow money to buy stuff to enjoy and you end up spending extra in interest repayments, you end up tying up your cash flow and it's a disaster. Mm. And we've all been there. I have and a lot of people listening have. So that's talking about the now, Glenn. Uh, I want to always be a generous giver. So that's Mm. others focused um, because 
if I die tomorrow, um, well, hey, at least I gave a crap load of money away and helped other people that weren't as fortunate. Yep. And um, actually just on that, I was doing my tax prep on yesterday on Sunday to send to the accountant. Talk about a trap for young players. 30 June, we made a heap of donations out of the business and I'll always say this type of stuff to encourage people to be generous. And, you know, I got Jess to pay some from her card and I paid some. And mm. anyway, so I was running through my P&L that the bookkeeper just finished and I'm like, where are all the donations? Yeah. So get this, it's the first time it's ever happened. The charities that we donated to, we, pro- we, we did it on the 30th, but once the payment settled... Mm. On the ANZ statement, it's all on the first or the second of July. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, unbelievable. So, so you've donated enough this year already. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So there's <laughs> going to be a, there's going to be a huge deduction um, <laughs> after this financial year. So just be mindful of that, guys. Like, oh, and this was got through me on my ANZ um, app for the business. It's got the amounts leaving on the 30th, mm. but on the actual statement and the bank feed that goes into zero, it's not the, the 30th. Yeah, Unbel- it I just couldn't by. believe it. Yeah. So anyway, um, so yeah, it's always about being generous. It's always about being a yep. giver. And then the third is investing the rest. So looking after future Glenn, mm. because I want to look after future me. I want to do the future Glenn a favor today. Yeah. So live on less than I earn now, Glenn, be a generous giver, others, and invest the rest, look after future Glenn and maybe the other little Glenlets that might come along. (laughs) Maybe it's getting pretty- You're having kids. Oh, it's getting pretty long in the tooth over here. (laughs) I probably need to, don't I? (laughs) Well, Well, I do, but you know why? One of the reasons, I'm the last James in my uh, leg of the tree. Mm. Uh, My uncle had daughters- I've got a sister, so... Tradition needs to continue. We've got to propagate the earth, my friend. Wow. Well, now, no. do you want to pick up that bit of paper mm. and read some of these other ones that people that people wrote and yes. then we'll, we'll call it a day? Too. So, Corinna Cooper says, don't spend what you don't have. Very good. Uh, second one is work hard. Money doesn't grow on trees. Uh, the third one is don't keep up with the Joneses unless you genuinely want to. And that's a really good point. Like the the old saying, don't keep up with the Joneses. If the next door neighbor's doing this, doesn't mean you need to copy them and buy that brand new car as well. But if you really want to, then go for your life. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm. Um, so thank you, Corinna. Actually, Corinna, I, and I didn't prepare this list. Um, Rachel, our producer, did. Corinna is um, my good friend and Tim Cooper is the executor of my will. There you go. And my power of attorney. Uh, <laughs> And Corinna actually was on the episode with James Millard about IVF and their story. So, Um, Ali Marie says, one, invest in assets regularly. Two, don't get caught up in savings when I can invest myself and use my skills and passion to make money. That's cool as well. Just a bit of a mindset thing. And number three, ensure the things I purchased are always aligned with my values. And that word values did come up a lot in, in the Facebook chat. Yeah. And you're really understanding what your values are. Mm, mm. Yeah, that's good. Henry Slater-Jones says, be willing to learn from older and financially dependent adults as to how they got to where they are now. Learn from works, what works and what doesn't. Number two, focusing on saving and investing my income to let the compounding effect get on a roll. And then the third one, be generous and willing to others. Seeing others succeed makes you realize why you are on this journey. 
you, it's pretty boring life by yourself, isn't it? Totally. And if I might be wrong, but I'm pre- I'm probably, if I was a gambling person, I'd probably put 98% of my money on this. I think that's Henry, who was in Brisbane, who was the 18-year-old, the youngest at the event. Really? Remember Henry? Yeah. Um, so, thanks, Henry, for listening. Hey, Henry. And, uh, Crystal Mears, number one, immerse myself in education and knowledge. Two, buy, renovate, and hold positive property. Three, intentional spending, mortgage debt only. Good one. Yeah. Uh, David Boxall says, spend less than you earn, keep it simple, stupid, look at everything on a dollar per happiness basis. Wow. Uh, Terrier? Is, is that how I would say that, John? Terrier, yeah. yeah. Thatcher, diversify income, invest in education, prioritise super. And that's funny that the prioritise super, if you did nothing else, the just salary sacrificed couple hundred dollars a month or whatever it is yep. and got on with your life, well, you've guaranteed you've spent less than you earn That's right. and you've guaranteed you invested the rest. Can't touch it. And you just, it's happy days. Mm. So I think the education thing's big. We can't ever stop learning. No. Whether it's learning a new skill or a new hobby, it gets your mind flowing. So It does and challenges you. Yeah. And the last one, This I don't know how this made the bloody list, but we will read it. Go, John. Uh, JP Pearson, who's an employee, she says, listen to My Millennial Money. Uh, I need to follow that one. Number two, be part of the My Millennial Money Facebook group. And number three, following My Millennial Money on Insta. And the bonus, be employed by My Millennial Money. Mm. Yeah, so uh, there you go. A trifecta. But thank you, everyone, for sending all that stuff through. I had a good read of them in the Facebook group, and anyone can just jump in there and, and read them. Um, just search the keyword three short points or something like that, and you'll see it. Yeah. Uh, but thank you so much for sending that in, everyone. Thank you so much for your continued support. I would just say, and I think I said this to you last week, mm-hmm. um, it is a wonderful group to be a part of. And and I must admit, I don't go in there and comment and do Stuff too often. <laughs> you don't, and that's why you don't get paid for that part of it. <laughs> but, but I am in a few other groups. You are that are absolute rubbish, mm. right? And the, I suppose the lack of camaraderie in other groups and the the trash talk and the putting people down and and just the rubbish that's in there is quite amazing. And I stay in there mm. just to realise what else is going on out there. Just so you can have an outlet. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> no, but that's so important, everyone. Like, you know, I don't want to outstay our welcome today. I want to let you you all go. But um, we, we're not striving to be the biggest podcast in Australia. Mm. We're not striving to be the biggest Facebook group. I want slow growth at a quality. We want mm. quality people. So I'd rather grow slow and better quality. And as well, with my own lifestyle and goes back to my three points, I would rather invest less for the future and be generous and be a giver along the way. I'd rather slow down, be generous and take others with me. Yeah. So, yeah, but thank you everyone. Like we have such a good time and, you know, if anything that we do or if it resonates with you, you know, we want people like you in our community. So, Mm who can you forward this episode to? Yes. Well, go and buy Glenn's book because now he's having kids. He needs to, it's going to cost him a lot more in his life. <laughs> so It is. It is. I need like a surrogate. Is that what they call 
Okay, we're going to end it right now. <laughs> um, and um, I'm going to order lunch. What are you having for lunch today, John? No. I'm going to go get a chicken wrap from Two Birds. Yeah. All right, uh, thanks, everyone. See you soon. Yeah, bye. Bye. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 